Today's scripture reading comes from the Epistle of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 and 23 to 24. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen in front or simply listen as the passage is read aloud. There are also copies of the Bibles on the carts in the back. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden in Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. All right, there's about half of you who have had your Starbucks this morning, so I'll give you a second just to wake up, and you can pretend for a moment that you're awake. So good morning, Mars Hill and High Rock. Good morning. So it's so glad to see you, uh, each of you here this morning. Uh, we're glad to be in the house of the Lord. I know many of you had to press your way through the extreme heat wave uh, this morning to get here. And uh, uh, let's thank God for air conditioning in the building. Amen. Um, see, some of you, I, I could tell some of you have had air conditioning all your life. But for those of you who have lived in Boston with the air window units that gets a little bit of air if you stand right in front of it, but if you go a couple feet away, you start drenching with sweat. You're thankful when you can walk into some AC and get a little bit of cooling down, and uh, we're thankful for that and thankful for each and each of you that have uh, made your way out to um, be together. I think it's important that uh, no matter what the weather is or no matter what's going on or no matter what season it is, it's important that we set aside uh, Sunday as the Lord's Day. Um, um, we are not bound by the Old Testament regulations, but it is a practice where we set aside a time on Sunday to give back to God, and it's a part of our offering. We think about the tangible offering that we give unto the Lord, but also what the Lord asks from us um, is the time back, and what we are saying when we gather together on Sunday as the Lord's Day is we're saying, Lord, uh, this day is important, and we give it back to you. Um, some of you worship on Saturdays. Some worship on Sundays. It doesn't matter the particular day, but what we do, uh, what does matter is that we take time and set aside and give it back to God, and also that we take time to rest from the toils of this world and say, Lord, I trust you in everything. Amen? Amen. Um, I'm excited about today's message um, because today's message touches on one of the cores of why we founded Mars Hill Fellowship Church, and um, um, many of you know that uh, in my background, I'm a bivocational pastor, meaning that um, uh, during the work week, I, I work as an attorney and um, in the legal field, and my background is in mechanical engineering, and um, I use those skills in helping clients in a number of different arenas. And um, also throughout the work week, I also serve as the senior pastor of Mars Hill Fellowship Church. And so um, many people often wonder, well, why would 
you, you know, why can't you choose one or the other? You know, are, are you an attorney or are you a pastor? And uh, why would you have, quote unquote, your hand in your, or your feet in uh, both arenas? But um, the reality has to do with a call that I received as, as a young child. And it was in response to a question that the Lord asked. And uh, I remember there was a sermon, this was in Children's Church, and um, I think Children's Church is mightily important because uh, we're not babysitting our children, but we're teaching them in the ways and the instruction of the Lord. And I remember as a young child, um, there was a pastor who came to preach, he was a missionary, and they asked this question, are you willing to say yes to whatever God asks of you? Now, as a child, I was like, yes, I want to say yes to God. Little did I know that that would require of me to not only learn in the areas of um, uh, 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 legal, in the legal field, but it also would be a call to share in the good news of the gospel and to pastor a local congregation here in Boston. At the time that I said yes, I never realized the depths of what I was saying yes to, but I don't regret saying yes and being willing to say yes over and over and over again. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I have to be reminded and even remind myself that I'm not doing this for my own glory but I'm doing this for the glory of God. And so when it might be, be tired or it might be like, why am I working 80 something hours a week? Um, I'm reminded that it is for the glory of God that this is done. Um, today's message, if I can give a kind of introductory kind of um, what I'd like to say. So first of all, if you have a pen or paper or something or electronic device that you can take notes, today is one of those sermons where I recommend you take some notes. And here's the reason why. Um, today's sermon, I'm going to give what I call a lot of spiritual meat. And um, uh, for those of you who are, you know, in the summer grilling season, this is, today's message is going to be like a big, juicy slab of ribs. It's going to be a little messy. It's going to be a lot to chew on, but prayerfully, it will be sweet to you as you hear the message. For those of you who are vegetarians, today's message is going to be like two impossible burgers smashed together. And you could take a nice bite of that plant burger something that they call it. So um, for all people... I pray that today's message will be good. So what are we talking about today? Today is week six in our series, Where Is It Written? Um, um, who, we, who are we? And in this series, we have taken a look at some of the ver uh, values and characteristics of our churches that both unify us and also are unique to each one of our churches. Um, so far, we have discussed the centrality of the word, what it means to be a spirit-filled church, We've talked about inspired worship. We've talked about love for the city. We've talked about the heart of welcoming. And now this week, we cover the equipping of people for their life's vocation. As we mentioned, the purpose of this series is for us to understand the biblical foundation, excuse me, that grounds what we do from week to week and also what makes each of our congregations unique in their expression of faith. 
As I continue this week, I'd like to share with you one of the core values from Mars Hill Fellowship Church. And it is, we believe that spiritual formation reaches into our professional vocation. We envision the church as a spiritual training facility where believers are taught, discipled, trained, and equipped to serve others according to their gifting and calling upon their lives. We see the church helping people discover their God-given talents, as well as providing opportunities to develop those talents in service to the kingdom of God, businesses and institutions, the local church, the city, and the world. And it is from this core value that I want to share today's message. In the early 2000s, California pastor of Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, released a book entitled The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, how many people here have read uh, The Purpose Driven Life before? Okay, so uh, a few who have read that. Um, it soon became a bestseller and estimated 30 million copies have been sold over the years. What made his book so popular? Well, Warren touched on an important question that many people struggle with. What on earth am I here for? You probably asked that question in some form or another. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What's my purpose? What am I doing in life? Am I fulfilling what God has called to me to do? And many of us, we've asked it in different ways. So for example, what on earth am I in Boston or Brookline for? Some of us are wondering, why Boston? Why Brookline instead of New York or LA or what, whatever city we might face? Fancy. Some of us ask, what on earth am I working in X field for? So if I'm a scientist, if I'm a homemaker, if I'm uh, working in technology, why am I in that field? Some of us, we ask this about our life stage. So what on earth Am I in this life stage for? Whether our life stage is single, married, it's complicated, or something else. Some of us are asking, what on earth am I at High Rock Brookline or Mars Hill Fellowship Church for? You see, these questions form this basis of wanting to understand Am I fulfilling a purpose greater than myself? You see, in understanding our goals and understanding why we are here, one of the things I recognize is that we struggle with this question. I've been a believer for over 35 years and been pastoring for over 13 years, and I can say that people still struggle with understanding their purpose calling, and vocation. And if we're counting numbers, I would have to raise my hand in that same group to say, sometimes I struggle to fully understand my purpose, calling, and vocation. Most challenging is when I find myself in situations where it seems like pursuing or fulfilling the calling that God has on my life is not comfortable or easy. Because most of us, we think if God has a calling on our life, that God has excavated the whole path and we're just going to skate into the future of our destiny. I want to help you this morning. Read the Bible. 
Nobody who had a calling on their life skated to get to their purpose. Think about David. David had a calling. He was called king long before he ever stepped into it. You know what he had to endure? He had to endure another king who was jealous of him, chasing him down, wanting to kill him. He's trying to help the king. Can you imagine he's ministering before the king? The king is like, oh, wow, the demons are fleeing and everything else. And he's like, all right, I'm going to kill you now. So anyone who tells you walking in your God-given calling is going to be easy or without challenges has sold you a bag of goods. The reality is that in any calling, in anything, the reason why we continue pursuing it is because God is with us. And you may have heard this saying, whom God calls, what does he do? He also equips So he equips us with the fruit of the Spirit. He equips us with spiritual armor. He equips us with those things that he needs. You know what I realize? Those who are teachers, God has equipped them with an extra, triple, quadruple measure of grace. Come on, come on, let's thank God for our teachers. Because they have extra grace to work with our children. You know, the summer, it's only been two months. I mean, teachers are teaching them for 10 months, 11 months of the year, and, uh, you know, it's only been two months, and, and my grace bucket has slowly eroded to the point where I'm just like, just go do something and just don't call my name anymore for the rest of the day. But God gifted those who have the gift of teaching with that extra measure of grace, or we pray that he gifted them with that. And so... I surmise that our struggle with understanding our purpose, calling, and vocation is difficult because we are trying to understand kingdom principles by earthly measures. We're trying, let me say that again, we're trying to understand kingdom principles by earthly measures. What do I mean by that? In this world, uh, whether we like it or not, there is a earthly hierarchy of purpose. And what has been associated, if we look at it simply from an earthly perspective, is that you have this kind of ladder of what are more important jobs in this world. And so we're taught that the higher we climb on the hierarchy, the better we are and the more purpose that we have. Close to the top of this hierarchy are doctors and soldiers and, 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 and things. And so as we climb this, we kind of try and say that if I'm going to fulfill my purpose, I've got to find something that's in the higher echelons. Um, Now, one of the things that you will realize is that this standard or this way of looking at things is very faulty. And part of the reason why is that society, even just from an earthly standpoint, society would not function properly if everybody was just in the higher echelons of purpose and we didn't do some of the tasks that some people consider as menial. Have you ever seen a city where they did not pick up the trash for a certain amount of days? 
I guarantee you, no matter how many doctors, lawyers, whatever, high-paying people that you have, the city will be unbearable because the smell would go and smell wretched throughout the city. So in a system that would place someone who is a refuge collector as less purpose and less important, you see, even by earthly standards, that system is a faulty way of thinking about life. But in the kingdom of God, what we see is that everyone's purpose has equal importance in the kingdom of God and in the work of the kingdom. To minimize one's importance or to puff up one's importance equally dishonors God. What What did the apostle Paul said? He said, what would the world be if all of us were thumbs? You ever tried to do everything with your thumb? Thank God for the index finger. Thank God for the elbow. And what the analogy was is that if this world where everybody was the same, this world would not function and the body would not function. And likewise, in the kingdom of God, he says, no part is better than another. And I have to confess, especially as a leader in the church, the church has not done a good job of helping people to recognize that all parts of the body are important to God. So the person who might, their job might be just to clean up the bulletins and other things after service, the person who's serving in the audiovisual team, the person who's greeting at the door, the person who cleans the bathrooms before you come to service, the person who makes sure everything is set up, they're all equally important. And I want to break down the thought in the kingdom of God that, well, he's the pastor or he's up front or he gets to sing in front of everybody or he has a public, a public position that those are more important in the body of Christ. That is absolutely a lie from the pit of hell. We've got to recognize that the kingdom of God says all of us have an important part to play in the work that God is doing in this earth. And here's the reason why. If we don't see importance in the work that we're doing as part of the work of the kingdom of God, we will sit back and watch and let someone else do it because we'll say the work of the kingdom belongs to those who are working nine to five at the church. The work of the kingdom belongs to those who are the pastors and leaders in front of the church. But the work of the kingdom belongs to every single believer. And if you're here today and you've said that I've made Jesus Christ Lord of my life, you have an assignment in this world and God wants you to fulfill it each and every day. What is that assignment? Well, we can see that assignment enumerated here in Colossians chapter number three. Now, let me give you a bit of context to help understand this passage. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. The Colossian church was a young church that had been started by a young convert of Paul, Epaphras. And, but in its infancy, the Colossian church had come under heretical attack. The philosophers of the day, or if we can use common vernacular, all the Twitter commentators began to add on to the sufficiency of Christ. 
They have their opinion about what we need to do and how we need to do it. And so instead of taking just the simplicity of Christ is enough, they begin to add on to all these different things. Well, in order for Christ to be enough, you've got to, you know, you've got to spend three days at the temple. And then when you come to the temple, you've got to do this offering. And then after you do this offering, you've got to do this. And then you've got to make sure this is in line. And so they added to these things and they began to make the gospel a stumbling block or a millstone for people to follow. And the Apostle Paul wanted to write to them and say, cut all of that out. Christ is all that we need. Christ is the sufficiency of all things. Christ is the beginning and the ending. And he began to correct these heresies. And what he began to say to the church of Colossae, we can benefit from that right here in 2019 to hear the words that the Apostle Paul said to them. His instructions were based on this following question. Have you received Christ? Have you received Christ. Because if you have received Christ, this should mark a demarcation. It should be a point in line. It should be a time where you see there was an old man and now there is a new man or woman. And what he was saying is that if you have received Christ, your life should be transformed by him. And that means that your roots have to grow deep into him and your lives have to be built on him. So in verse number one, he starts off with this phrase, since, since, since. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. This is the condition. If this doesn't apply to you, the rest doesn't matter. But if you have been raised to new life in Christ, meaning that you have received Christ as your Lord, he says, if that's you, this is what you need to do. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. He then goes on to declare that you died to this life and your real life is hidden with God. You died to this life and your real life is hidden with God. I find that one thing that people struggle with is they don't recognize the new life that is in Christ Jesus. So we might respond to an altar call or we might hear the gospel proclaimed and say that I want to accept Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And in that moment, there is a radical transformation that takes place. Now, everything doesn't change instantly. It's not like Clark Kent and you go into a telephone booth, you go, you know, you go in as a sinner, you, you come out, you've got the cape and you're Superman and everything else. But what happens is that within your soul, the heart of your soul comes under new 
lordship, under new authority. And, and it is this way that the way of doing things belong to your old man. You die to those and you now live to a new way of doing things and living out this life. And what he says is that the realities of this world, you die to them, but the realities of the new heaven, you live towards. Now, one of the things that's important to understand here is that the Apostle Paul, a simple reading of this text would say that the Apostle Paul doesn't want us to focus on anything in this earth. But that is not what he is teaching. If so, we wouldn't be worried about our neighbor or what good stewardship looks like, which are all things that the Lord commands us to do. If the Lord didn't want us to worry about things in this earth, he wouldn't have talked about what to do with Caesars, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. But there is an importance there, but Paul is teaching something. What the Apostle Paul is saying is stop letting the things of this world be your primary driving factors in what you do. You have to live out what you do on this earth with a heavenly or kingdom mindset rather than an earthly view. If I live out simply for an earthly view, I'm, consider, I'm thinking about have the most fun, get the most amount of money, and not care a single thing about one another. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I mean, if like if this is all we got, come on, what's our priorities? If this is all we got, I'm sorry, but I mean... You might be a good friend, but if this is all we got, hope you do well, but I'm, I'm thinking about me. If this is all we got, I want money. I want to sit out on the beach. I want to have, I just, I just want to enjoy life to the fullest. But the problem with that is you will live for this life and never be prepared for the life that is to come. And those who are believers, he changes around our mindset to say, don't live out of the momentary this life right now. He says, live out of the eternal and let the eternal speak into your moments right now so that what you are doing right now, you're not doing it simply because at the end of this life, it will all make sense. You're doing it because it's for the glory of God and it is something that will be done for eternity's sake. If our mindset is not in the right place, we will live out the wrong purpose and destiny. So what does he say? He says, stop letting these things of this world be your primary driving factors and switch to a heavenly mindset. And what is that heavenly mindset? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in verse number 23, the apostle Paul gave us what that heavenly mindset is. Can you put that up on the screen, uh, Sister Tracy? And let's read that together this morning. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. All right, let's try to say it again together. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. The heavenly mindset teaches us that you will receive an inheritance as your reward for how you worked and served on this earth, but based on who were you working for? 
Were you working for yourself? Were you working for boss man? Were you working to please your parents? Were you working to please your spouse? Or were you working to serve the Lord? Who are you doing it for? This brings us to the importance of vocation, or in kingdom terms, calling. Understanding what God wants us to do requires us to redefine our common understanding of some important terms, work and vocation. What's the difference between work and vocation? Most of us define ourselves by our work. And our work is chosen by, some, by what someone usually wanted us to be. Uh, if you're like me and you were from an immigrant family, you were probably thought, taught that God wants you to have multiple degrees. And if you did not have multiple degrees, you are not of God. In some families, maybe you were taught God just wants you to get a job. God doesn't care. You just got to pay your bills. Some families, you were maybe told that God wants you to do something that will earn money, not some career that doesn't pay. So those who were in fine arts or gifted in areas that literature or other areas where they say, well, what kind of career is that? In some families, you were told that God wants you to do whatever makes you happy. In some families, you may have been told that God wants you just to marry somebody rich and then be happy. <laughs> whatever you may have defined work by, Many of us define work by an earthly mindset and an earthly point of view. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines work as this, the activity that affords one a livelihood, business, uh, a business, a calling, employment, job, line, occupation. I think the Urban Dictionary also includes these definitions, gig, shindig, my nine to five, or working for the man. <laughs> But the second definition of work in Merriam-Webster was so interesting because it reveals the way that many of us probably feel about work. The work, uh, it defines work as strenuous activity that involves difficulty and effort and usually affords no pleasure. Synonyms include drudgery, grind, labor, toil, slogging, sweat, and travail. Some of us, when we go to work every day, that's how we feel. The problem with just working is that at some point you'll wake up and ask yourself, what am I doing this for? What does this have to do with my purpose or my calling? Work without a purpose will always be unfulfilling and leave you empty. But God did not design us just simply to work. You see, when someone asks you, what is your purpose? What are you called to do? If you answer the question simply by stating your career or your profession or your work, then you have not fully understood your kingdom calling. What does this mean? You've lumped together calling, work, career, and vocation. Work is a part of what we do so that we can fulfill our calling. 
But work in and of itself is not the totality of our calling. Your job does not define the fullness of your calling any more than having a keyboard makes you a musician. So what does this mean? It means that we have to understand work in the larger context of vocation and vocation in the larger context of calling. And in order to do those, understanding that from the top level will help us then now put meaning into the work that we do on a daily basis. Where does vocation come from? Vocation comes from an understanding that we are here on this earth for some purpose, and that purpose is ordained by God from the foundation of time. The word vocation comes from the Latin word meaning calling, and it is is defined as a divine call, a holy summons to fulfill a task or responsibility that God has laid upon us. Now pay attention here. Too often, the only people who speak of being called by God are those who are full-time missionaries and pastors. But the reality is, Divine calling is not limited to the four walls of the church. Let me say that again. Divine calling is not limited to the four walls of the church. God is in in his infinite wisdom, calls people to express their service to him in the home, in the workplace, in family, and in government. And if we do not realize that that is a part of God's divine call, we will take the time and the effort that God has given unto us and waste them away rather than seeing them as opportunities to give God glory in everything thing that we are doing. Now, what does that come from? Calling or vocation were a part of God's order, excuse me, from the beginning of time. Do you remember in the beginning of scriptures in the, in the Garden of Eden? Genesis chapter number two, you can write it down and look at it later. But in Genesis chapter number two, God talks about what he did in this process. And in Genesis two, he says, the Lord God formed man from, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden and then he placed the man in which we, he had formed. Then if you jump down to Genesis two and verse number 15, this is what happened. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Now, I know some of us, we say, well, you know, work is of the devil. I mean, if we were back in, you know, in God's wonderful time, there would be no work that we'd ever have to do. I mean, we just got to, you know, sludge, drudgery through all that thing. But you realize that even when God made the perfect garden, He blessed it. He blessed where he had placed Adam into. And then he put a garden there so that they would be sustained. But he says, I'm going to put a garden here. This is what you have to do. Cultivate it. Keep it. Translation, work it. Even in that instance, work was not meant to be drudgery. 
Work was meant to fulfill God's eternal purposes in the earth. And God created a way so that the earth would sustain itself in the garden. But man was required to cultivate it or to keep it. And so from the beginning, you see, God designed work as something to be a noble purposes. And one of the thing, challenges that we have is that many of us develop our, our theology of calling and work from the gospels and the life of the disciples. Many of us know that the disciples were fishermen and they were tax collectors and other professions. And oftentimes when we read, we see that they laid down their lives and laid down their jobs to follow after Christ. So in many instances, we've said that the only way to follow Christ is to leave our worldly vocations and become dedicated, committed followers of Christ. I've got to be like Bartholomew or Philip. I've got to be like those disciples. Leave everything that God has given us and follow Christ. Now, this is not the totality of how God's people, God calls his people. We were right that God calls us to die to our identity that it was rooted in what we did. The fishermen had to die and leave their fish. The person who was a tax collector had to uh, leave their tax collecting business. But after we gain our new life in Christ and new identity in him, we surrender our gifts and our skills to serve him in any way that he asks. For some of us, he will ask us to leave the joys of what we previously did to serve him. This was found in the life of the disciples or some who even follow a call to full-time ministry. But for others, and I would venture to say the majority of us, he will redeem the work of what we had been gifted with and change it from an act of mundane tasks to an act of service and an offering back to the Lord. Let me, let me put it for you in numerical terms because I, I like to understand numbers. On average, most people will spend 90,000 hours at work during their lifetime. Do you think that the God who has created all the earth and all the universe is only concerned about all the rest of your hours and wants to exclude from his purposes a whole third of your very being? Some of us have the mindset, well, God's only concerned about what I do on Sunday. Absolutely not. Something that takes up such a vital part of what we do on a daily basis, God is concerned about it, and he wants to redeem it for his glory. How does he do that? He does that by teaching us to work in whatever gifts and callings that we have to the glory of God and not to the glory of man. Let me give these last three dimensions of calling that will help us put together this sense of living for our life vocation. Musicians, if you'll just come and play softly as we close this morning. The first dimension of calling is recognizing that we are called to be a people belonging to God. He calls us by name to restore our identity in him. 
Our first dimension of calling is a call to salvation. If you have ever asked yourself, well, what is my calling? What's my purpose? Well, the first dimension of what you're called to do is called to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. That's your first calling. That's, it's a calling that is universal to every person. He has, he has set in order and made an opportunity that all men may know him. And from every country, every tribe, every tongue, the first calling that he calls us to is to come into a salvation, a saving knowledge of who he is. The second dimension of that calling is recognizing that we are called to be his children. Those who God has called from darkness into his wonderful light, that we may daily live our lives as a people who have been redeemed. You often see one of our themes that we developed at Mars Hill was live worthy. This is the ongoing process of what we call sanctification. Which means that we're not just called to make a one-time commitment of lordship of Jesus Christ. But we're also called to become disciples. So absolutely, if you're wondering, what's my purpose? What's my calling? If you've made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, your calling is to continually grow in him so that every day you look more and more like Jesus. So maybe before Christ, you cussed like a sailor. And maybe after Christ, it didn't all go away. But the ongoing work of Christ is your call not to say, well, well, God didn't, you know, change everything day one, so I guess he must like them four-letter words. No. You're called to continually grow in him and surrender those areas. And guess what? When you surrender one area and you think you've got it together, God will say, I want another area. And so I'm still, I, I told you, I've been saved over 35 years. There's still areas that God is saying, oh, all right, we've worked on this area. Now I want this area. I'm still surrendering daily areas of my life that I've got to give over to God. Areas sometimes that I didn't even know were there. But God says, I need that area. And he needs it because he's molding and shaping me into his image. The second dimension of calling. And then the third dimension of calling is that in view of God's mercy, we are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, continually worshiping God and living a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. The third one doesn't make sense if you don't understand the first two. See, the third one is, what's my purpose? What do you want me to do? But the reality is what we do always must be an offering of service back to God. So my mindset is not that I go to, you know, uh, my particular company so that I can get, you know, posted on the, the list of Boston's best and brightest attorneys under 40. That would be great. But my goal is that even in my legal work, I'm bringing glory to the God that I serve so that my gifts and talents are not my own, but they belong to God. 
And through it, God will be glorified as I do my work with excellence, as I use the opportunity to bring glory to his name. It is our core conviction that the church needs to recognize, support, and equip people for ministry in their homes, workplaces, the church, and neighborhoods. And when we do that, the gospel is advanced and God is glorified throughout all the earth. I close with this. <laughs> what a glorious picture it would look like if revival would break out in Longwood Medical Center. What a glorious picture it would be if revival would break out in the homes with mothers or fathers watching young children. What a glorious picture it would be if revival would break out in scientific communities and labs. All of these are possible not because pastors or leaders were going into these places and preaching the gospel. Revival is not going to break out in Longwood Medical Center because High Rock Brookline and Mars Hill decided to go do an open air church service in the middle of Longwood. You know how revival is going to break out? God is going to call some talented scientists and researchers who love God and who are excellent in the work that they've been called to do. And as they begin to work out what God has given unto them, they begin to share their testimony of what God is doing. They begin to share what drives them, what motivates them. And all of a sudden, what we begin to see is not someone who went into Longwood and preached. We see someone who was a living testimony of the God that we serve and revival began to break out. What a glorious picture that would be. Revival won't break out in the homes. Some of you who are stay-at-home mothers or fathers, revival is not going to break out because Pastor Yumiko or Pastor John or Pastor Ophelia came into your house and taught your kid and prayed with your kid. You know how revival will break out? You, as their mother or father, will be praying with them and teaching them the word of God. And as they began to hear it, even from the mouths of babes, they will declare that our God reigns in all of the earth. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm seeing such a glorious picture of what is possible when we understand. God, what have you blessed me with? And am I using it for your glory? The whole earth belongs to him. And the challenge is, do we see the church as a spiritual training ground? Or have we just let it be the place where the others do the work? My challenge to you this morning is that God would transform our picture of what he is doing in the earth. And we would see even the work that we do, not just simply as drudgery and work, but we'd see it as a part of the great calling that he's given to each and every one of us. Surely it'll be difficult sometimes. 
Surely it will be frustrating. Surely we'll have coworkers who will really wonder, Lord, why are you tempting me? But in all of those situations, God will get the glory. Let's respond this morning as we sing this morning together, this worship anthem. And if you feel led, I invite you just to stand and worship or however you want to respond to today's message. I recognize that I'm being transformed to look at my work differently. And I want to respond to God by committing to say, Lord, I surrender everything to you. Let your glory fill this earth. As we all bow down, as we all come, casting off our crowns, would you hear our cry? We want to see you glorify. We sing those words again as we all, as we all bow down. As we all come, casting off our crowns, would you hear our cry? We want to see you glorify, glorify your name. Glorify your name, glorify your name, we want to see you glorify. As we join as one. As we join as one, as we live to let your kingdom come, Father, through our lives, we want to see you glorified. Come on, we sing. Glorify your name, glorify your name, glorify your name, we want to see you glorify. will be filled with glory like water or the sea filled with glory the earth will be filled with glory like water or the sea filled with glory the earth the earth 
will be filled with glory like water or the sea filled with glory the earth will be filled with glory like water or the sea we glorify your name glorify your name glorify your name we want to see you glorify one last time glorify your name just the voices glorify If you are able, just lift your hands this morning. I want to commission each and every one of you today to be called into the service of the Lord. The way that the Lord uses our gifts and talents will be different from each and every one of us. But today, I want to commission us as followers of Jesus Christ who are called into his purpose that our hands and our feet and the work that he has called us to do will be for the glory of the Lord. That we will not see the work that we do simply as mundane activities or things just to pay the bills. But that as the Apostle Paul challenged each and every one of us, we would be willing to work willingly at whatever we do as unto the Lord and not unto man. So, Father, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, that in the coming days, as they reflect upon today's message and today's commissioning, Lord, that you would speak to each and every one of their hearts. You would show them who you've created them to be, and you would help them to discover ways that they can use those gifts and talents back in service to you. Father, we want to see revival break out all throughout our region and world. And we thank you that it'll come because willing vessels have said yes today. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. If you believe it, say amen with me this morning.